A young paratrooper was learning how to jump at paratrooper school. He'd gone through all the instructions. He'd gone through all the training, and it was time to make that first jump out of the plane with the rest of his parachuting class. He was given the final instructions, and it was first, jump when you are told. Second, pull your ripcord after counting 10 seconds. If in the uh, strange event, the odd event that that does not deploy your parachute, deploy your secondary parachute. And when you land, a truck will take you back to the base. So he's going through this process, and, and uh, he's kind of shaken up. He's kind of like, okay, what do we do here? Okay, just remember these steps and all that. And first thing is he, he doesn't hear anybody call his name and tell him to jump. Um, he just gets pushed out of the plane. He's like, well, that was rude. And he uh, counts to 10 seconds, and he pulls his, his ripcord, and nothing happens. And uh, so he's, he's uh, scrambling around feeling, okay, uh, now I remember the instructions. If that didn't work, pull the second ripcord. He pulls that, and nothing happens. And as he's kind of falling to earth, he's sitting there, and he's like, wouldn't this just be about right? You know, I suppose when I get down there, the truck's not even going to be there either. This guy is in for a sad awakening. He is in for the saddest of surprise. This morning we are looking at how we can guard against the saddest of surprises. Twice our passage this morning refers to the day of judgment. And that is not a day that a person wants to be surprised when they thought that they were saved when they thought that they had escaped the penalty of their sins. Even having known that that penalty had been paid by Jesus, finding that they did not know Jesus themselves. The first passage warns against teachers that could lead others astray. And, and we continue on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, brings us to chapter 15 or verse 15 beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is an a, um, analogy in the book of Matthew for final judgment separated from God in hell, being thrown into the fire. In the same way that you would not expect bad fruit to be born on a good tree, the connection is to be made, the bad fruit that is in this teacher's life, it's coming from a bad tree. Not the right verses. Oh, thank you. It's 7, 15 through 23. Thank you. In your, in your Bible, you'll find it in chapter 7, not chapter 5. I appreciate that, uh, Jim, very much. So the second half of our passage describes the frightening moment of standing before Jesus. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the third of comparisons that Jesus makes here in the closing teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we heard the comparison of the two different gates and the two different ways that those gates lead into. The narrow gate that leads to the narrow way that is difficult but leads to life and the broad gate that leads to the broad way that is easy and many are on it but it leads to destruction. Then we learn here about prophets, false teachers, that, that one is represented by, uh, uh, that are represented by bad fruit that is coming from a bad tree, as opposed to those that are represented by good fruit coming from a good tree. And then thirdly, we see here different people that think they are following Christ. One that ends up being told, I never knew you, depart from me, in contrast with those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. The fourth of these comparisons, contrasts, we'll see next week. Two different builders. One who listens, represents one who listens to God's word and builds on a foundation of rock and another who does not listen to the words of Jesus and does them and builds on sand. So looking at how Jesus warns us about the coming judgment in the first half of our passage this morning, we see regarding teachers, we need to be fruit inspectors. We need to be fruit inspectors. There might be some amazing things being done as, as uh, is listed off in the second half of our passage. Miracles. Uh, demons being cast out, mighty works. But we are to be fruit inspectors. We are to be looking at the fruits in these people's lives. And we'll get into just what that means here. Jesus bookends his words with the statements that a false, about a false teacher will be recognized. They will be recognized by their fruit. He says it twice here. He says it there in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. And then again in verse 20, closing this section, false prophets or teachers claim to speak for God, seeming like innocent sheep, but in reality they destroy those who believe them and also seem to have a hunger for doing so, like ravenous wolves. The term ravenous means aggressively greedy for whatever it is that they're after. The Apostle Peter wrote about the bad fruit of fleshliness and greed that will be evident in false teachers. He says, but false prophets, this is in 2 Peter 2, false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, for those of you that are reading these verses up here and saying, J.D., why are you saying false teachers when Jesus is talking about false prophets? I, I like how 
Peter kind of bridges that gap. And here's my understanding of the time of the book of Acts. And that is that before we had the completed word of God, God was using prophets. Much as like in the Old Testament. And Jesus warns in that vernacular of prophets. Peter in 2 Peter 2 talks about false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. So it's kind of a transitional time that Jesus is teaching in. Today, I I don't know if we have people that should be able to claim to be prophets of God. Uh, If so, let's run them through the Old Testament standard. Uh, You say something that doesn't come true and we're going to have to stone you. And I'm not sure if uh, we'll have too many people uh, raising their hand for that. But anyways, I digress. 2 Peter 2, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. This is fleshliness, following their sensual desires. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And their greed, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. The Apostle Paul gave similar warnings to the elders of Ephesus at the close of his ministry with them. Where he says in Acts 20, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. To draw away disciples after them. So watch out for those who come across as being innocent. And claim to speak God's word. But in reality destroy with their teaching. You'll know these false teachers by the fact that their behavior doesn't look much like they follow Christ. The way that a person is living is always a reflection of their heart, their relationship with Christ. While anyone can be changed by God, going back to the beginning of this chapter where Jesus says, do not judge, do not be condemning, do not rule someone as being unredeemable. God can change any of these people, but we are to be discerning in the teachers that we listen to. Anyone can be changed by God, but a life that isn't following Christ is typically a reflection of a future eternity in hell. No matter what the person espouses, or even in the next verses, no matter what they do with their mighty acts. The New Testament commentary says, profession is easy, and even Christian behavior may be counterfeited. But what a man really is will inevitably be shown itself by the way he lives. Now, if you had a tree at home, and let's say you have an apple tree, and this apple tree, it must have gotten, you know, crossed over with a crab apple or something. This thing is just never any good. It, 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 the, the apples are always bitter it seems to they be they're always gnarly and and uh, shrunken and so what good would it do for you to go out to the grocery store and buy a couple bags of apples 
and bring them back to the tree and tie each one of those apple stems to a limb on the tree and be like, fix the problem. It's all good. Now, if your friend comes, o- comes over and be like, hey, you want some apples that I, that I grew myself? In fact, let's go pick them right off the tree. And you go and you're like, take a, take a p- pair of scissors and you clip the string. And you're like, try that, fresh apple. Your friend would be looking at you like, this, this tree did not produce this apple. And, and there's something wrong with this tree. I can tell by just looking at it. In the same way, we are told nobody is going to fix what's going on in their heart by just saying words. Nobody that has a mess going on in their life, no teacher specifically that is given to sensuality, that is given to pride or control or greed should be listened to just because they say nice words. You should never listen to me. This place should be emptied out if I end up given over to greed or sensuality in my life. Be a fruit inspector. You should always be checking the fruit. Should I be listening to this guy or not? I can recall a man who, who had been a pastor uh, in previous years, and he was attending a church that, that I was youth pastor at, and he was very well respected. They actually let him preach, which at this church, that was like really saying something. And we later found out that he had been very inappropriate with his own children, and probably other children as well. You know, when he described himself to his son later on, his son kind of passed this on to me as we were talking about it. He said, you know, my problem is always I know the truth and I just have a problem with application. You know what Jesus says about this guy? Keep this guy away from the flock and nobody should be listening to him. Nobody should be giving him a platform. Folks, nobody is unredeemable. But I'm going to tell you this. When I heard Joyce Myers make the statement, now don't look for this in your Bible because you're not going to find it there. How do I know that? It's because God told me it personally and then went on to preach on what God told her personally. That is not someone that anybody should be listening to. When I hear Todd White claim to be sinless, that is not someone that anyone should be listening to. Or Stephen Chalk, that wrote the book, The Lost Message of Jesus, called The Atonement, Cosmic Child Abuse. In other words, the idea that Christ bore our guilt, and the idea that the Father punished him in our place, calling that cosmic child abuse. God would never do that. That is not someone that should be listened to. Remember, we've already been told, as we were told last week, there are two ways. A narrow way through a narrow gate of the gospel. Few are those that find it, but it leads to life. And there is a broad way that many, most, are on this way that leads to destruction. There are many religious, there are many uh, quote-unquote Christian people on that broad way. How do they get there? Partly listening to false teachers. And what is it that false teachers are able to tell them that sounds right? 
whatever they want to hear. Whatever it is that they want to hear. It is a sad fact that the broad way that leads to destruction is followed by a lot of folks that think they're Christians. Many who are on that Broadway have believed a false gospel taught by a false teacher, and their impact is devastating as much as the Broadway leads to destruction. But in addition to the fact that we are to be fruit inspectors in regard to teachers, we are to look at ourselves as well. Regarding yourself, be certain of your relationship to Christ. What is it? Is he your judge or is he your savior? Jesus says some words that I think there's something wrong with us if this doesn't take us aback a little bit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. First, I want you to notice something. Jesus is talking about himself as the final judge. He is talking about himself as the one who every person will stand before. And he'll go as far as in the passage that we'll look at next week to say, anybody who does, who listens to my word and does not do them is building their life in a way that is going to end up in shambles in the end. That's a, that's a lot of authority. That is a, a huge claim. And I know on this side of the cross, on this side of ha- the, the learning so much from the New Testament, it kind of rolls over us. But this is a big reason why we will see in Matthew uh, 7, 28 and 29, that those who were listening to Jesus were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That's part of what we are observing here when Jesus Christ says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And that it all boils down to, does Jesus know you? That is a huge, the ultimate level authority that Jesus is claiming, and rightfully so. With this term Lord, throughout Matthew, it's not just a sign of respect. Throughout Matthew, it is more than that. It is recognizing Jesus' authority and exalted status, claiming to be his servants, professing faith in him. These people that he is describing here are not insincere. They are not lying. They are self-deceived. They are unaware that they never had a relationship with Christ in the first place. They likely sat in church. They likely got Sunday school pins. They likely got a lot of gold stars along the way. And I think in the connection with the verses that come before this, they likely listened to some false teachers. This leads to the requirement. I mean, aren't you wondering about that? So what is the requirement? It is knowing Christ personally. That is what Jesus is referring to when he says, the problem here is, I never knew you. The requirement of being, spending eternity 
in a relationship with God is spending part of your life in relationship with God. Personal relationship, that is what it's about. We are never saved because these people are never saved because Jesus never knew them. That's what it boils down to. And what begins a personal, permanent relationship with God is the indwelling Holy Spirit. We read about that in Ephesians 1.13. Having described all of God's work of predestination and election in eternity past and all of that in Ephesians 1 that, that just makes our heads spin, the Apostle Paul brings it down to verse 13 when he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were saved. Well, that's actually not what he says. That's involved. What he says is, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That is what makes someone a Christian. Personal relationship with God, evidenced by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that seals the person. It goes on to say, who is given to you as a guarantee of your inheritance. To me, that sounds like once saved, always saved. And we teach that without apology. As Romans 8 describes this assuring work of God's Spirit, Romans 8, 14 through 16 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Period. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's what a lot of the false teachers are handing out. You better do what I say or something bad's going to happen to you. You better do what God wants you to do each day or he might cast you away from his presence. That is a spirit of fear that fall back into slavery. You did not receive a spirit of fear to fall back into slavery, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, end quote. And so what does it look like for God's spirit to bear witness with your spirit that you are not going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. What does it look like for God's spirit to bear witness with your spirit that you are not going to hear that? Instead, you are going to hear, welcome, my good and faithful servant. This came up in our men's Bible study yesterday morning. We're in Romans 5. And this is what we read. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So how do I, how do I find that hope? Where does that hope come from that I can rejoice in, in the glory of God? Meaning that I will be a part of the glory of God, being glorified with him. As scripture also calls it. And here's where it comes. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. This is the connection of the Holy Spirit and hope and suffering that we go through. As we go through suffering, if we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, he gives us the ability to endure. We don't curse God when we suffer. We don't sit there and go, wait a second. I thought if you're all powerful and you're all good, that means you won't let, me, let this happen to me. No, instead, God gives us endurance. And that endurance begins to work on us. And he starts giving us patience. He starts giving us kindness. He starts, we find ourselves less judgmental. We find ourselves more dependent. We find ourselves more surrendering. You know what that is? Character. Suffering leads to endurance, leads to character. Why does that give us hope? Because in the midst of that, we sit there and say, God, you are there. You are teaching me. You are changing me. You are growing me. I'm not, I'm not getting better, but I'm not getting bitter either. Yeah, I was for a little bit. Yeah, I was angry. Yeah, I was, I was sitting there saying, okay, God, if I, if I do this, will you take this away from me? But you brought me through that. You're growing me. God gives you permission to have hope in the fact that you are a child of God because you see the Holy Spirit at work in you. You know what the false teachers will say? If you're going through that, there must be something wrong with you. If you're going through that, you must not have enough faith. You need to send me a little money, and I'll fix it for you. Does that sound familiar? At Harvest, we are constantly encouraging you to lean into your relationship with God. That's what God encourages you to do, too. And sometimes, honestly, just about every time, it takes suffering to get there, to get the hope. It takes a wayward child. It takes brokenness in your home to bring you to the point of like, God, this is not about me. This is not about my comfort. This is not about my sense of success. This is not about my plans that I had for my family. This is about you. This is about your kingdom. You know what? That's Holy Spirit work. And God gives us permission to be assured because of that. We'll also look for a relationship with Christ as an evidence. And evidence is obedience to God's clear will. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to obey more and more. Now, the enemy is going to say, look, you disobeyed over here. That must mean you're not a child of God. That is not, that, that, that is not what you should be listening to. Over time, has God taught you to obey him? Has God shaped your heart after his desires? Is God changing your desires? Be assured from that. Here we are directed to the fruit of our lives again, obedience to God's will. If a person is living in willing practice of sin without the desire or the intent to change, they need to heed this. The saving work of Christ results in the indwelling Holy Spirit whose work leads to greater obedience over our lifetime. Lastly, look for the relationship with Christ 
And be aware the counterfeit is doing great things for Christ, but not necessarily through Christ, not necessarily with Christ, just doing them for Christ. These are some startling statements. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These are some pretty amazing works that that seem really legit. And whether they're done by Satan or trickery, don't you know that Satan can bring on an illness and have planned to have one of his false teachers come to that person and, and, and then Satan releases that illness when they have that false teacher pray over them? Seeing is not always believing, folks. Whether it be by Satan or trickery, these are no guarantee of a person's relationship with God. It's usually the things that people are doing for God that cause them to ignore the enormity of their sin. Oftentimes, and I can attest to this, there's a temptation as a pastor to think, you know, it's okay what's going on over here in my life because I'm doing all these great things for God over here. I must be okay with God because, look, he's bearing fruit over here. You can easily see how Satan would be motivated to help a, lo- to, to help a lost person do flashy things it ke- if it keeps them and those who follow them deceived. You know, you could add to this, hey, we've written commentaries in your name. We, we've preached amazing sermons in your name. You know, doing this in God's name, it's, it, I was reminded of this this morning when, when Kelly and I were boiling uh, potatoes. For our mashed potatoes. And you know uh, Kelly was saying hey keep an eye on it and everything. And I was like hey let me show you what Elaine showed me what to do. Right. And I took a pat of butter and I rubbed it around the inside of the, of the potato pan. And that pan never boiled over. And Kelly said well I suppose if Elaine told you. Then that's, that's uh, alright. And I said you know what. I evoked Elaine's name. Because I knew that you would say it was okay if she was the one that told me. That, that is what, so, so this is what's going on. And I looked at her and I said, I'm going to use that in my sermon. When the person says, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? You know, I'm, I'm saying, hey, Elaine told me to do this. The same way the false teacher is going to be saying, God told me to do this. You know, I believe that the, the clearer, most complete definition of taking the Lord's name in vain is saying, God says to do this. God told me to do this. God wants us to do this when you don't really know that for certain. I believe that's taking the Lord's name in vain. And these per- people, maybe self-deception. Well, it is self-deception because they're sitting there going, Lord, Lord. They're not saying, ah, oh, you caught me. I knew I didn't know you. There are plenty of videos on YouTube. Uh, for some reason, it's big in Africa. Of, you know, a seemingly person who's limp and dead being brought to a great teacher of the word, supposedly, and they are raising them from the dead. That is no indication. You know, I don't think you can believe what you see anymore, to tell you the truth. But that is no indication that this is a person, a teacher, that should be listened to. And it's no indication that that person truly knows the Lord. Whether it be Todd White with his sleight of hands tricks and making people think that they 
He's uh, extended their short leg or something like that. Or Benny Hinn. I remember seeing him on TV one time, turning around in a stadium, and a whole section of the stadium, and him saying, are you ready to receive the Holy Spirit? And motioning toward them, and the whole section of the stadium falling down backwards. That freaked me out. And part of it is this. But the sad thing is, many will follow this false teacher, believe that they're following Christ, and they'll end up in this situation. That's why we need to heed Jesus' warnings. Regarding yourself, be looking for a relationship with Christ. Greg Laurie says this, You may be able to say all the right things, but if your faith does not impact the way you live, it is meaningless. In truth, you do not have a relationship with God. I put myself every year through the torture of 60% of It's a Wonderful Life. I love It's a Wonderful Life. I'm not saying the movie is a torture. I'm saying it's torturous to watch George Bailey go back through his life and see all these relationships of people that don't know him and people and what it was like what would have been like in their lives if he never existed because you know that's what Clarence did for him you know we're going to make it so you never lived and then at the end of the movie what happens uh, he finally uh, comes to his senses and his friend Bert the cop comes comes running and finding him and saying George George and 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 George Charm looks at him and he's and he's like all defensive, and then he, he, he opens his eyes and he realizes, he looks at him and says, Bert, do you know me? Do you know me, Bert? And that's when, like, the torture is released. It's like, oh, it's, you know, I don't know about you, but I just got tingles in my head right now, you know, just saying that. That is what it comes down to. Do you know him? Does he know you? Uh, somebody asked John MacArthur one time, how many, how many times should I pray to ask Jesus into my heart? Meaning, how many times is it that I should, should have to say, Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that you paid for my sins. I recognize that I cannot have a relationship with you without taking that payment for my sins on myself. G- make that payment true for me and give me a relationship with you. He says, he was asked, how many times do I need to pray that? And John MacArthur's, Answer was, until it sticks. Until it sticks. What is the evidence of it sticking? The indwelling Holy Spirit. What is the evidence of that? The Holy Spirit being in work in our lives. That's the question that should be first and foremost in our minds. Is the Holy Spirit there? Do we know him? Does he know us? God is more willing to answer it definitively He's more than willing to answer it definitively. Giving religious lip service to Christ is no evidence of a relationship with God through Christ. Sadly, many people that consider themselves Christians will be surprised by what they missed on earth and will miss for all of eternity, knowing God. The fact that they were separated from God. And some of these will even have done amazing works that seem to have been sourced in God. But even miracles that, and displays of spiritual power aren't a substitute for knowing Christ. Even if they were done in his name. 
Those who are Christians in name only will experience Jesus as their judge who will associate with them as they did with him. As their Lord, but not as their Savior. There's an inscription in Lubeck Cathedral, Germany. And says this, Ye call me master and obey me not. Ye call me light and see me not. Ye call me way and walk me not. Ye call me life and desire me not. Ye call me wise and follow me not. Ye call me fair and love me not. Ye call me rich and ask me not. Ye call me eternal and seek me not. Ye call me gracious and trust me not. Ye call me noble and serve me not. Ye call me mighty and honor me not. Ye call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I, I pray that that these words would be an encouragement to those who truly know you. I pray, Father, that there would be a freedom to be assured, having seen in our lives the work of your Holy Spirit as you've taught us, as you've humbled us, as you've grown us, as you've made us more surrendered, dependent on you. I pray for those here who do not know that indwelling of your Holy Spirit, who your spirit is not, has not testified to their spirit that they are your children through, their cha- through the changing work that you do. I pray, Father, that they would not hear, I never knew you, but instead would choose to know you now. And if that, if that represents you here, I want to encourage you to pray this until it sticks. Father God, I am a sinner. And my sins separate me from you. But you paid for my sins through Jesus. Will you make that payment count for me? And be my father. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.